welcome to the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast, featuring your host, Angela Harders. We're committed to cultivating a peaceful world beginning right in our own hearts and homes. Together, we believe that the world is our biggest and best classroom, and the people and places in it are our greatest teachers. So I invite you to join me on the adventure of a lifetime, beginning with a conversation that can change the world. Today's episode of the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast is brought to you by the book, Tales of a Toxic Teacher, Exposing the Cycles of Abuse Within Our Schools, written by Angela Harders. In this book, Angela shares some of the shocking experiences that happen behind the closed doors of a public school classroom and exposes some of the many abuses that take place in school intentionally and unintentionally, and no one escapes unscathed. Tales of a Toxic Teacher is available for purchase on Amazon.com. The ebook and audiobook versions are also available for free to members of the Peaceful World Schooling community. If you are interested in becoming a member, just check out the membership link in the description below. Thank you so very much for supporting Angela and for helping to make the Peaceful World Schooling podcast freely available to all. Hello, and welcome to the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast, where we are committed to cultivating a peaceful world beginning right in our own hearts and homes. My name is Angela Harders, and I'm a special education teacher, a gentle parenting author, and a proud world schooling mother to two amazing children. Today on the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast, I have the privilege and honor of introducing you to an incredible woman and mother, um, and her name is Kirsten Kirschsteiger. Kirsten, thank you so much for being with us today, and I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Angela. It is my pleasure. Um, So to get us started, can you share with us a little bit about you, your family, and your story? Okay. Um, hmm. (laughs) There's lots, and I'm trying to keep this short. So at the moment, we are a family of four. Mm -hmm. I have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. And we are homeschoolers slash unschoolers. Sometimes we call ourselves world schoolers because we do like to, yeah, just use life as the canvas for learning and and for what it means, you know, to to learn and to do education at home. Um, Our focus with me, of course, is emotional intelligence. I like to think of my kids as people that are they're full people they are whole and I have to learn to work with them and they have to learn to work with us Mm -hmm. and so this is what I basically focus on now Um, I'm an emotional intelligence coach I was a scientist before I, I turned you know with motherhood everything changed for me and I saw the need in science and for women in in STEM in the science and technology engineering and math area Um, I saw the need for leadership training. And so I became a certified emotional intelligence practitioner to bring leadership training into those spaces and especially for women, because I noticed that there is a lack of opportunities. There is a lack of, yeah, you know, um, maybe self-confidence in in women that might stem from how we were being brought up, right? But what was really important to me was Becoming a mom in STEM, um, 40% of women wants to become a mom, they actually drop out of the workforce. Oh, wow. And I thought if I could only bring leadership training into this space, I could help moms stay in there and I could help them, um, you know, not only break the glass ceiling and, and, and get those manager positions and, and leadership positions in the company where you then ultimately have more flexibility oops, sorry, (laughs) flexibility and freedom, but also to bring those emotional intelligence tools and techniques into your home because Mm -hmm. 
what it does is you create better relationships. And if you have good relationships at home, work-life integration becomes easier as well. That's powerful. I, I love how you talked about that motherhood just kind of shifted everything for you. And I, I truly feel like every mom can relate to that feeling, you know, like we're all kind of in this path on our own unique journey and then motherhood happens and it, it does, it really changes us in a lot of ways. And you mentioned, you know, a lot of these aspects, bringing aspects of your motherhood into your work. And then at the same time, using these skills that you've learned in your work to bring that back to your motherhood. Um, there, there's so much there um, in what you just shared that I want to unpack with you. Um, but you mentioned that you are an emotional intelligence coach. And for people that aren't familiar with that term, can you just explain a little bit more about what emotional intelligence is and kind of how you got interested in that topic? So emotional intelligence basically means that our emotions inform our decisions, our behavior, and mm. everything we do in life. But why is that so? It's basically um, based in neuroscience that we've learned. If we boil it down to very simplistic terms, we basically have two parts of the brain, the emotional brain, and then the prefrontal cortex, which is our thinking brain. Um, evolutionarily, we have evolved to stay safe, right? To, to make good choices. And that had to happen in a really quick way. And that's how our emotional brain, or it's also called lizard brain sometimes, that's what it does. It tags situations. You walk into a room and it, in milliseconds, you feel safe or unsafe, mm. right? Yeah. And so when we have emotions that feel good or positive emotions, some people call them, everything is good. Our thinking brain is engaged. We can problem solve. We are creative. We are at our best because we're feeling safe. Yeah. However, when our emotional brain picks up danger, it tags it with a negative emotion or an uncomfortable emotion like um, I don't know in parenting frustration <laughs> uh, maybe if you go out somewhere and do something that feels scary fear um, mm -hmm. anger you know so there's a lot of emotions that don't feel good what happens in our emotional brain is that this tag basically opens up a second loop of um, hormones that run through our body our blood gets diverted into our muscles you have heard of the fight flight or freeze fawn response so this is what our emotional brain does the problem is that when we are in this these threat situations is that our thinking brain disengages mm. and we suddenly cannot think we cannot think of solutions we cannot we're just ready to be done with that right to run away Sometimes it's so overwhelming that we freeze mm -hmm. um, and so on. But what is important with emotional intelligence is that it is a skill. Mm -hmm. It is something that we can learn and we can get better at. And so one thing, when we look at why did we evolve like that, you know, it was like life-threatening situations. We had to respond. We had to survive. Yeah. Nowadays, Situations like being in a room with strangers trigger us. Mm. We don't know if we're safe. Mm -hmm. Having a difficult conversation with a manager mm -hmm. make us feel unsafe. Yeah. So what we have to learn now is to recognize that it is a safety mechanism. Mm. It tells us like our the emotions we feel, they tell us something, their information mm -hmm. to process. And then we can learn to invite a pause and reconnect our thinking brain mm. and learn to respond rather than react. Wow. I, I'm, as you're talking, I'm just picturing in my head, like a toddler, you know, that's kind of emotionally, what would seem to us is like emotionally out of control. I feel like toddlers kind of operate a lot with that lizard brain that you mentioned of, I feel like children are very intuitive, you know, to when they're in a safe environment or when they're with other human beings that they feel safe around or maybe don't feel safe around. Um, and, you know, having what are typical like tantrums and things like that, that toddlers are known for just kind of having these big emotions that are on display and are very just open and free in their expression of those emotions that you mentioned that feel good as well as emotions that maybe don't feel so good. Um, and I'm wondering, what does your what does your experience and your knowledge with emotional intelligence, how does that relate to 
your parenting or how do you bring that knowledge into your parenting as you're parenting children and especially the little ones that have these big emotions and are you know trying to process them so my kids are a little older now they're five and eight but I think it's actually them who brought me towards emotional intelligence because we were, we started out with attachment parenting, Montessori, positive discipline, and positive discipline is based on emotional intelligence. In reality, it is all about connecting. And isn't it so interesting that because I I tried to teach my kids (laughs) or not to teach my kids, but I tried to raise my kids in a respectful way. Mm-hmm. I had to learn <laughs> so much because that's what happens when you say the toddler has the big tantrum. It is really uncomfortable for us. right? It is so uncomfortable that we sometimes just want to make it go away. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it is partially because we had not been allowed to feel everything we had been told uh stop crying now or don't make a fuss go to your room um boys don't cry whatever you know whatever messages that have been floating around in 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 our past are the ones that now we have to unpack and we have to look at and why is it so hard for me because for me a lot of emotions come up when my daughter is having a hard time yeah and so it was really them who led me towards emotional intelligence because mm-hmm. I needed to, honestly, I needed to discover my own emotions. I needed to reconnect to them mm-hmm. because I was not, I think as a safety mechanism, I kind of disconnected from, from a lot of, of yeah. my emotions. Yeah, yeah they're, I, they're great I mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can definitely relate to that too. And I think you're right, you know, like as parents, I feel like sometimes we do, like we feel uncomfortable when our children are expressing their emotions so freely. Um, And it does, like it makes us feel uncomfortable. And so we just kind of want to stop it or make it go away. Um, But you're saying that we shouldn't just try to stop their expression of their emotions. How would you handle that if your child is expressing emotions that are making us feel uncomfortable as parents, um, whether that be, you know, anger or the big two, I think are anger and sadness. I feel like those are the two big emotions that parents just get really uncomfortable about and they're not quite sure what to do with those emotions. Um, Do you have any like strategies or tips that you could recommend for dealing with emotions like that? I'm not really a parenting parenting coach, but, (laughs) but I mean, you know, honestly, I think it is about having those conversations with your kid when they're not in it, like having conversations about how emotions come up, like during a day, how many emotions can you feel? How, you know, is it something, yeah, you can be really, really sad at a moment, but maybe five, 10 minutes later, you're actually enjoying your day again and you're happy and you're doing something that lights you up and, and you enjoy the company of everybody. So I think having those conversations that emotions are fleeting, they're signals to be interpreted. Mm-hmm. So allowing for the space for it to happen and the same, you know, the, the adults have to give themselves the permission to do the same thing, to say, hey, yeah, now I feel, I feel, I feel really frustrated with my kid but I can be frustrated. It's okay. My kid, I can see my kid struggle and it will still be okay. Yeah. And, and so the, 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 the third step to it usually would be to take a break. And for kids, we usually teach them to count backwards, like a rocket launch or to, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Dan Siegel, Dr. Dan Siegel, he has like this hand model where the emotional brain is um, the thumb. And you wrap around the fingers, which would be the prefrontal cortex. So you can teach your kids, even if they're not talking a whole lot yet, you can say that they flipped the lid. Mm. And and so I did that with my son when he was really little and, and he would be under the table and he would say this. So he would just tell me, I need a break. Like, don't talk to me. Mm-hmm. Don't do anything. He flipped his lid. And that was a signal for us to give him a break. Mm. And then when he was feeling better, he would come out on, from under the table, for example, or or me saying I need a break right now and me verbalizing it in front of the kids I feel really frustrated with the two of you um I don't know bickering or, <laughs> or whatever 
I can't, I can't make a good decision right now. I am going to go take a break and I'll come back when I feel calmer, for mm-hmm. example. So all these, you know, giving them words, oftentimes they also are in tantrum phases or in, in those states because they can't really express what's happening. So sometimes asking questions or um, giving them some words, you know, saying, is this what's happening? Or I see a really good one is the observation one. The I see you're mm-hmm. being really frustrated. How can yeah. I help? Or do you want help, for example? Yeah. Those are some great strategies. I will make sure that I make note of those as well in the show notes in case someone is um, interested in trying out those. Um, And a lot of what you mentioned too, you know, we're talking about, yes, obviously dealing with the emotions in our children, but you also mentioned how important it is for us as parents to be able to deal with and process our own emotions and being aware of the the emotions that we're feeling um, and kind of call a timeout for ourselves or take a break when we need a break or we need, you know, kind of to step back a little bit and, and allow us to, you know, that space to process our own emotions that we're feeling in that moment. And just being able to remember, like you said, you know, all these emotions, they're going to pass. Um, none of these emotions are permanent. It is, it's just, it's a wave that we experience and it comes and it goes and we can be with that emotion and feel it fully and then be able to let it pass, um, which is a really, yeah. it, it can be challenging when we haven't had that space as a child to be able to process those emotions in that way. Yes, um, definitely. And, and I, it is information. I think we should, yeah. you know, we have to go away from the positive negative emotions I like to call them um now I'm blanking on the word (laughs) forget about it Uh, but what I would like to have people think about is that the negative emotions they feel uncomfortable so you see that's Mm. the word I say comfortable and uncomfortable rather than negative because it's still an information like when when we get frustrated why do we get frustrated like could mm. we do something different next time? Is it that we didn't ask for help? Is it that we didn't hold a boundary mm-hmm. or even set it? Yeah. And now we are being we are frustrated or we feel taken advantage of and and you know, and so there yeah. is a lot to it um to actually use it as information. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. I, I I've talked with people about that before, that idea of you know, a lot of times we're very quick to label emotions as good or bad, or in your case, as you mentioned, like positive and negative, but I love how you reframe that to comfortable and uncomfortable. I feel like that's a, a much better way <laughs> to, to describe kind of what is happening in that moment, because you're right. Like those emotions of frustration or anger or even sadness, um, they're not bad emotions. You know, they're, they're important emotions to have, because just as you said, they're, they're, part of our brain and our body communicating something to us. Um, And then when we can get that those emotions are an aspect of our brain and our body communicating, trying to communicate something to us and to people around us, then we can kind of work through and ask those other, you know, those deeper questions, like you mentioned of, you know, the, why am I feeling this way? Or how can I process this emotion in a different way? Um, but yeah, that's, that's great. You know, being able to see that as it is an emotion that feels uncomfortable, but it's not a bad emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for bringing up that distinction. Um, and one of the other things that you said too, um, you mentioned that you started out with attachment parenting, um, which, you know, I did too. And I I felt like attachment parenting really kind of morphed into gentle parenting, you know, like attachment parenting with the baby morphed into, you know, gentle parenting when she was like a toddler. And I'm trying to figure out how to do this gentle parenting thing or conscious parenting, peaceful parenting, whatever you want to call it. And then, um, as my daughter, you know, grew from being a toddler to now she's, you know, four and five years old and getting ready to go to school. Um, I was, you know, really trying to think through like, how can I be consistent in having these principles of connection and respect and kindness and gentleness with my children that I've had, you know, in attachment parenting as a baby to gentle parenting when she's a toddler. And then now that she's approaching school, um, school age, how can I carry those gentle parenting principles into her education. And actually that question was what led me personally to unschooling or to self-directed learning or peaceful world schooling, whatever you would like to call that. Um, and so I'm, I'm wondering for you too, I know that you said you guys are unschoolers as well. 
what inspired you to pursue an unschooling educational environment for your children? Honestly, yeah, <laughs> um, it is taking one step after the other. It is like, it is not something that you plan. I think it is something that happens as a natural consequence. Just like you said, we did attachment parenting and it was something completely different than how my husband and I were brought up because back then my mom was actually being told that letting me cry is going to give me a better voice like stronger lungs and 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 things like that so what has helped for us as a family is that we had the kids far away from family so we didn't have direct direct influence Mm -hmm. so it you know it opened and we had like a blank slate and we could just do our own thing we could do our own research we could do whatever felt right for us because it, it was just something that happened naturally the attachment parenting and um we are were or still are kind of like we love montessori philosophy mm-hmm. we love the child-led um approach where you set up the environment in a way that they can be successful mm-hmm. and that they can be they can feel empowered because they have, you know, whenever they're ready for the skills, the environment is ready for them mm. to take over. Um, so, so those combinations, however, we had our son in a Montessori school and in kindergarten, he started school showing signs of school refusal. Mm. Um, he didn't want to go anymore. He was, and it was like, he had been there for three years. It, it was like, he loved the kids in there. He loved the, the teacher. But what had changed was that suddenly they had set a different set of expectations. Mm. The school being under pressure of all the parents um, suddenly started doing reading, writing and math every day. And supposedly they they have free choice. Right. Uh, my son was not ready for it. And now years later, we found out that he's dyslexic. So there's even a cause why he could not do those things. Yeah. However, the school was really unflexible. Mm. Uh, we had meetings with the teachers, with the director and the teachers, and basically their solution was have him checked out for ADHD. They didn't say any like they they could not mention because they're not allowed to diagnose, right? But they were like, "Hey, this is our observation. Go to the doctor and have him assessed." Back then, we were not ready to do that, but what we were ready was to listen to our community. Mm-hmm. Um, a fellow mom um, who now is a, is a dear friend she's actually a Montessori teacher and the same month that we started having these issues she pulled her kids out of the school that she actually taught it so she had taught her son there and she saw that her son was not thriving anymore mm-hmm. so she started homeschooling I hooked up with her I asked a lot of questions I asked another neighbor that is a homeschooler so I I you know, I dove into the research part again mm-hmm. of what is learning, mm-hmm. what is unschooling, and um, it's not Sue Patterson. Sue Patterson is another unschooler. Yes. Uh, Pamela Rickia, she I has a podcast. Um, and so I listened to her podcast episodes, and the more and more I listened, I was like, this is honestly almost everybody on that podcast started out with attachment parenting. Mm -hmm. They started out with this respectful parenting Mm -hmm. where, yeah, where your kids are whole persons and, and, and you regard them as a person, not a small thing, a small doll that is working her way up into life that is earning life. They they are living already. Right. And so I think it is, it's a natural consequence of, of this. If you want to, yeah, to really honor the individuals you live with, mm-hmm. I think it comes pretty natural. I think that's a beautiful way to put it. And actually Pamela Rickia's podcast was my kind of first introduction to unschooling too. And for those who are not familiar, um, Pamela Rickia is a longtime unschooler. Her children are, have long graduated and she has written multiple books on the subject of unschooling. And she has a podcast that she releases episodes every Thursday. Um, and so she just shares about unschooling and does interviews with other unschoolers. And when I first was learning about that, her podcast was so instrumental for me too. And just 
hearing other people that had made this choice to give their children educational freedom. Um, and just as you said, to really view their, their children as whole human beings, unique human beings, and to give them that space to be who they are in the world and to pursue their passions and to pursue their gifts and their talents and their love with freedom and support from, you know, from the people that love them. And um, so if you have not listened to her podcast, I highly recommend it. I will make sure that I include um, a link in the description as well for that podcast, because it is one of my favorites. Um, but yes, you're, I mean, you're so right. You know, the people that are on that podcast and, and when you connect with other unschoolers and talk with them, that is definitely a common theme. It's like, we all kind of start with this attachment, you know, a, a, a desire for connection with our children and to view our children as valuable human beings, unique individuals that are, are fully worthy of life, as you mentioned, and love. And, um, I think that's such a beautiful place to, to begin, you know? Um, so your son was in the Montessori school and he was kind of expressing that he wasn't interested in those things. And he had valid reasons to not want to start jumping into reading and writing like everyone else and, and having kind of reading and writing and math forced upon him in that way. Um, what made you finally choose to kind of pull him out of that and then do homeschooling instead? What was that moment for you that you were like, okay, we're going to, he's in this self-led learning environment in Montessori, but that's not a good fit for him. We're going to pull him out and do something else. Yeah, it was a difficult decision because my husband and I, we both are from Europe where homeschooling is not really a thing. Mm-hmm. yet this year it has increased like in Austria it has increased it's still very tied to the school system so they have to take tests every year to be able to stay homeschoolers it's very different than in California we have a lot of freedom yeah um it was difficult and for me I think it was a little easier because I did a lot of that research and I also I don't know I think I had that level of trust that it's gonna be okay <laughs> I I do not I know coming from me I, I even have a PhD so I went through the school system I went <laughs> through ah. university I did everything <laughs> as far as I could go I did a postdoc until I decided I didn't want to to stay in science but the thing is I had a lot of experience in the school system but not necessarily the positive ones like I had a lot of experiences where I was not good enough or where I was like barely coming by my husband in exchange he he was doing really well at school (laughs) so for him it was even harder to because once you start unschooling or homeschooling you start questioning why we do things in a certain way (laughs) because it has always been done like this well a hundred years or so but not always (laughs) so it is really um again it it brings up a lot of things in the parents it brings up a lot of questioning your childhood a lot of why do we do things and and yeah it's just I think it's a process again it's something that you keep peeling back layer after layer because the questions become deeper the the opportunities yeah. become richer. Like for us, we we had our son, see, that's the school mindset. We had him finished kindergarten year <laughs> <laughs> because that's what you do. And they had like a kindergarten celebration. So we're like, yeah, we let's, let's finish him and then we homeschool. Yeah. Um, going back now, I would have pulled him right then and there. Mm. But we needed more time. We needed the preparation. Yeah. Right. So for us, we we bought ourselves a little more time, but we also had our school mindset still. Let's finish the course. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's 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 been interesting. It's an interesting journey into what you believe is true about life. Yeah. And and I think ultimately, to tying it back into the emotional intelligence, I think ultimately. As homeschoolers, unschoolers, what you have to do is you have to work at the relationships. Like, you know, you spend a lot of time together. So what is really important is to get to know your people, the individuals that you share your life with. Yeah. What are their strengths? Helping them set their own goals, helping them understand how to reach those goals. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so this is how, how I see it. And that's why I say being a mom is a leadership position, because what you really do is you have these conversations, you model it. And one part that for me in attachment parenting was missing was myself. Mm. And so now that my kids are a little older, I have those conversations. I make sure that there's space and time for myself. I'm not only, because in attachment parenting, oftentimes we push it so far that we only respond to our kids' needs. Yeah. But in a, I think in a healthy community or in a healthy family, you really have to take turns. You have to make sure that everyone's needs are being met or as many needs as possible, as often as possible. So there is room for discussion. There is room for conversation. There is room for modeling when it's not happening. Like when I'm not getting my yoga or my mountain biking in, my kids know that the week is going to be harder for me. Mm. So it is really showing them that we need to be responsive to everybody, not only to one, not only mom to kid or dad to kid, yeah. but also the other way around once they're old enough, right? Once they can, can be part of the puzzle. Yeah, that's, thank you for bringing that up because you're right. I think a lot of times in attachment parenting, it's easy to just focus on responding all the time to our children's needs, but at the same time, neglecting our own needs in the midst of that. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like even for myself, I'm a much better mom when I'm taking care of my own needs. Like I, I can be a much better mom when I make sure that I have had a good night's sleep or that I have been able to rest or that I've been able to go outside and go for a walk or, you know, something like that, or sit and read a book or, you know, just being able to do something that I love. And it helps me to be, you know, a better mom and to be more present with them. But um, I, I think you brought up a good point of too, being able to invite our children into that conversation and, and verbalizing that, like communicating that with our children that, Hey, you know, like I have this need to go biking or, um, you know, I have a need to take a nap, <laughs> you know, whatever that might look like. And then being able to share that with them and having them be a part of, of that conversation and, and communicating that, you know, all of the people that are in our home are equally valuable, um, you know, and, and it, not. And, to, and I, I mean, this is life, out. right? Right. Yeah. This is what life is about. It's about how can we get along? How can <laughs> we make it work? Like in the communities we, we move around at your work, it's the same. If yeah. you have a team, it's the same. If somebody needs support, you're trying to make that support happen. If somebody's really good at something, well, they should take that part of the project. And mm. I think in the family, we have to think the same way. Well, and, and you talked about motherhood as leadership. I'm wondering, can you just explain that idea a little bit more of like how, how you view motherhood as this form of leadership? And I, I've heard you say that motherhood is the most difficult yet rewarding leadership position you'll ever get. Um, and so I would love to hear more about kind of how you came to that conclusion and what that means for you. So I know a lot of moms push back on that. <laughs> but what it is really is about, when we think about leadership, a lot of us grew up with authoritarian leadership where top down um, barking orders and this is how it's to be done and don't yeah. ask questions um, this is not how I view leadership I like I said from the emotional intelligence standpoint what you want to do is you want to be the most authentic person you can be you want to have your values you want to be able to communicate them but also you want to look at your individuals, the individuals you work with, you want them to be their own unique person and you want to leverage their strengths. Yeah. So in the family um, range, for example, my kids, they have been folding laundry since they were three years old. I made like a, a, a folding scaffold mm -hmm. and it's just become part of their habit too, right? So mm -hmm. I, I recognized a skill that they could um successfully complete mm -hmm. i brought in a tool that helped them do that easier mm -hmm. and so they've been willing to fold the laundry since they were little and and so this is like a very practical example but in general what what i, what I like moms to think about is open conversations modeling like again leading with those needs Mm -hmm. 
having conversations about how we are different people, how we function differently. Because if I look at my family, we are four people and we have four different ways of doing things. So there's not one way of doing is correct. If I want my husband to do something, then I have to accept the way he does it. Hmm. I do not get involved like like this is his this is his turn he does something and I'm gonna be you know I'm not gonna be refolding his laundry or redoing the dishwasher or whatever um so it is really leading you know leading by example Mm -hmm. recognizing strengths and challenges trying to support challenges trying to find or bring in outside help you know if if for example my family decided to to bring in cleaners mm-hmm. um, so we had more time for homeschooling and for for doing the fun things um, so you know it's like basically what we do one of the tools that we like using is family meetings mm. where we all sit together and we brainstorm our goals when it, if it is homeschooling related for example we go through what are your interests what would you like to learn more about what do you think you would need for that? So, you know, being a leader also means giving them opportunities to contribute, be opportunities to, to have ideas, you know, to, to actually be an active part of the team. Right. Leader does not mean that you're first. Mm-hmm. Leader does not mean that you're the only one. So we, we co-lead. Sometimes there are areas in our life where our kids lead. Like they lead their own projects. They do their own. um, For example, if it's about extracurriculars, they decide what they want to do. And then we see how we can fit, can we fit it in our, in our budget, in our time, in our energy, you know, how does it work? Because they, you know, they need us driving them. So, so it is, you know, it's a collaborative effort. Hmm. I think that's a great word for it to be collaborative because you're right. I think most of us have this experience of that authoritarian view where it's the parents that are kind of dictating everything and the kids just kind of are obeying whatever the parents say. And there really isn't that, that dialogue and that communication back and forth of, you know, what is the parent valuing? What is the child valuing? What are your own unique goals? And, um, and that's, that's something too, that I, you know, I try to do with my daughter as well. Of course, as unschoolers, you know, we are, we're asking them, what do you want to learn about? You know, what, what are your goals for today? Um, what are your goals for this week, for this month, for this year? And, and asking those questions to help them, you know, really think through and, and make a plan of the things that are important for them. And then just, as you said, kind of collaborating together, how we can make those dreams and those goals and those desires come to be um, in a way that really reflects, you know, respect for the whole family, you know, not just any one individual as, yes. you know, more important than another, you know, um, which I think is, is one of the foundational principles of unschooling that all of us have have values and interests that are equally valuable exactly yeah and and what i like about those family meetings is that it is a platform where we can discuss where we can see where do we need support who is taking on what so not everything falls on the mom not everything is like i don't have to do all the research for curriculum or you know the class if they want to take classes my son likes robotics and i do not know how to code and so for example we were looking for somebody who would teach robotics for for sessions mm-hmm. or out school or, you know there's so many ways of that you can bring in but it does not all have to be me my son can do some of the research my husband can take on some so it you know it is really opening up the conversations because sometimes as moms we are so afraid of having conversations we always think it's gonna go no it's you know we're not and and oftentimes honestly our kids have really good ideas and if so if you can hold family meetings they learn problem solving they learn conflict resolution they learn creative thinking they learn respectful negotiation right so it is really teaching them so many skills that are transferable they can use them anywhere they go and I think as unschoolers I think it's more than this one thing that they're really really interested in it is how we learn Mm -hmm. how do I get information Mm -hmm. how do I reach goals like all these these skills are the ones that are super important there is um I think it was Stephen Covey it's a business um 
a business author <laughs> um, and he does leadership training and he says that technical skills nowadays are being outdated every three years so what is really important is to have those soft skills or foundational skills like yeah. emotional intelligence and then all these transferable skills that you can roll over from one topic to the other from one um, technical skill to the other so yeah that that is very important because you know a lot of what businesses are looking for nowadays they are they're looking for the soft skills because you can teach someone how to code you can teach someone how to you know, create a database or whatever, like, you know, the things that companies are looking for or do social media, or whatever, you can learn those technical skills, but the soft skills that you mentioned of problem solving, working together, having peaceful negotiations, emphasis on the peaceful, <laughs> you know, like those kinds of things, that's not so easily taught, you know? Um, but if we can begin practicing those skills with our children now, it's going to make all the difference for who they're going to be in the future and the kind of you know, human being that they're going to be in the world when they're outside of our home and um, out on their own and contributing to the world in, in meaningful ways. Um, yes. And imagine, I mean, if they're like your daughter is five, you said? My, my daughter's seven and my oh, son seven. is three. Okay. So seven and three. So your seven-year-old for sure has already ideas of how to solve some of the problems. Mm -hmm. And so if you let her do this, it's just going to feel so good. You know, it's going to be so empowering. She's, she's not going to be like, oh, I don't know how to do, you know, she's going to attack more problems. She's going to go for it. She's going to be much more self-motivated. Absolutely. And you mentioned the laundry piece um, that, and I feel like that's a big one for moms. Like a lot of times I feel like moms just take on all the laundry. And I know for myself, you know, I didn't have to do laundry until I was like, in high school. Um, so I was clueless for the majority of my childhood on how to do these like basic stuff, you know? And so when I had my kids, that was something else too, that I was like, okay, no, I want, I want my kids to know how to do this and to be a part of this process, whether that be the, you know, they can help sort, like when they're little, they can help sort. Um, my son is three years old and he helps with dividing up like whose clothes belong to who and um, tries his best to fold them as much as he can. Um, I thought about getting one of those like folder things, um, you know, to teach them how to fold from Amazon or something like that, just so they can have that. Cause he doesn't quite have the dexterity yet to, you know, do it by hand. Um, but I love that you, you know, you mentioned that like teaching them a valuable skill that's important for them. And then also is kind of an, an extra weight off of you. Um, as the mom, and then also providing them with the tools that they need in order to be able to do it regardless of their age, you know, so even though they're five and eight, like they're contributing in a meaningful way to something that they can really take that responsibility over, like I can fold my clothes, you know, um, and then they won't be like me when they're in high school, like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to do this, you know, um, but what a, what a beautiful gift to be able to empower them to have, you know, these real, the real life skills, as well as those soft skills that are so important. Um, and I'm wondering too about, you know, you mentioned family meetings, like, is, is that something that you have like regularly scheduled meetings or you do just kind of call a family meeting when there's a crisis or how do you guys navigate that, those family meeting conversations? So in the beginning, we started out doing them regularly to get our kids used to, to them. But now it's really very, um, not loose, but it's, it's, it's very relaxed. Sometimes we just, you know, when we see something coming up, we, we talk about it. Mm -hmm. It could be on the couch. It could be with some cookies and tea, uh, sometimes over dinner. Uh -huh. um, so, and, and, and also sometimes I will have sort of unofficial meetings with my husband just to be on the same page because I'm the one who has more FaceTime with the kids. Mm -hmm he's working in an office like he's working from home now but in the in the office so he he you know he comes out he doesn't he isn't with the kids all day long so mm -hmm. that's a little different but um it is really important to not hold them in the midst of a crisis mm. like if you want to talk about if you have like a lot of siblings conflict uh, you don't want to do it right then and there yeah you want to do it at a neutral time when everybody's feeling calm again so that they can access their thinking brain and they can problem solve around around what happens or you know i would say i noticed you the two of you have been fighting over toys lately more 
how can we solve this problem? Like how can we make sure that everybody gets to use it in a respectful way? And how can we, you know, what are your ideas? And then both of them will take, will give their ideas and then they will, you know, talk it out. It certainly takes practice. Again, it's something that when we brought it in, in the beginning, my kids were like, "Uh Oh, <laughs> we're in trouble. You know, they were like, they were, you know, I mean, something new, <laughs> they yeah. push back. Right. Um, it's to be expected but now it's actually them if there's something that they want to have on their schedule then they're like hey I think we should have a family meeting about that or Uh one that I like to do is we go through waves of they're eating really well and sometimes they will stop eating what they really ate (laughs) very well and then I'll go back and say okay let me know what you like to eat and so we'll write down different dishes and foods that they like Mm-hmm. And then we try to make a new meal plan around the new tastes. Um, so it is, you know, it, it can be anything. If it's homeschooling, it's like, you, like I said before, the goals and the, what do you want to learn about? How can we make that happen? Yeah. Oftentimes we will take notes and then do some research and then come back and have a meeting of, hey, this is what I found. What do you think would work for you? What, you know? Um, we talk about extracurriculars I do not have my kids in a ton of extracurriculars because I do not want to be a driver Um, so they have to make choices and I think it's a good thing to learn that you can't do everything and be everywhere you have to make choices and you have to to decide what is more important Um, what else do we talk about homeschooling extracurriculars food vacation you know, and vacation can be a homeschooling project. You know, we can learn more about the country. We can learn more about the culture, about the history. Yeah. So, yeah. That's wonderful. I, I love the way that you're really, you know, including your children in all of this. I know you mentioned that your husband works. I'm wondering, are you still also working or are you full-time devoted to uh, to homeschooling now? Um, I decided to take uh to take the leap and start a business so i i do actually do those emotional intelligence trainings i work with women with moms who would like to either work on their leadership uh, career in corporate space or bring it into the home Mm. um yeah my husband is full-time employed and it's an interesting dynamic because I think the unschooling goes better with the business (laughs) because we do a lot of things in an unconventional way in business Um, and he still has like this employee mindset Um, Mm -hmm. but it it makes it interesting. (laughs) So is your husband on board with unschooling or is that something that he's still researching and learning more about? See, that's an interesting question, because I think when early on, when the kids were babies, he had a lot of trust in me and my instinct and that I would make good choices. Right. And once when it became about education, our discussions had to be more profound. They had to be more like I had to present facts. I had to present research. Yeah. like I said, both of us were schooled and we are from countries where homeschooling is not really a, a, an option right. or very restricted. So it was hard for him to let go. Like once the kids were school age, he was like, now I have something to say. Now I know, you know, now I have enough yeah. knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, however, he trusts me. And so he was okay with starting to homeschool our um ah, i'm blanking on a word again <laughs> sorry okay. uh, we've been speaking yeah we speak another language so <laughs> um, I, I can totally understand <laughs> so we were we had to find a middle ground let's say it like this yeah um i wanted to homeschool i was gonna pull the kids do my own thing mm-hmm. he needed the assurance of a school in the background so what we did we chose a school that is a two-day program Um, it's focused on social emotional learning it's project-based so it really has a lot of the the things that both of us like yeah but it is less academic than my husband wanted but he wanted some sort of school in the background and so that's what my kids do 
again this year mm-hmm. with COVID we took them out because remote you know the computer screen was not working for them yeah but this year they're going back they they went back so it's a two-day program they have amazing parent support so they mm-hmm. have um, we do a book club where we read about books about education we have um, follow-up meetings they follow the child like they are all the, the three teachers they have three classrooms and my kids are in two of those Mm. They all have adult kids that they homeschooled. Mm-hmm. So there's just a wealth of knowledge and years of, of doing homeschooling that my husband was finally okay to let go yeah. of control. And and then, like I said, learning about my son's um, dyslexia. So he's twice exceptional. He's gifted in another area, but he's he has a learning disability, which is really frustrating <laughs> for those kids. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've heard a, the a lot analogy. of are, are like that, that they have really strong giftings in one area, but then they also can show yes. up with, you know, disabilities in other areas. And it is frustrating is a great word for it. It is very frustrating because cognitively they're so advanced. They can do yes. like, they can think, they can verbalize, they can like my, my son, for example, he's a great thinker. He has amazing ideas, but he cannot read and write. Hmm. So what do we do? We support him with tutoring since we found out that he's dyslexic. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, we have shifted more towards using audiobooks, towards using podcasts, towards using video, because this is a way for him to actually consume the knowledge that he wants mm-hmm. without needing those basic skills that he's still working on at a lower level. Like he's. Yeah third grader and I think his reading at the moment is first kindergarten first grade Mm -hmm. so but homeschooling gives you the opportunity to do that to to do it on your own pace to actually follow your child and and like I said you you lean into their strengths Mm -hmm. and you support their challenges and honestly I want everybody to live like this like I want my husband I know my husband's strengths and challenges I know my strengths and challenges and if I don't know they remind me of them (laughs) so you know it's just it becomes a good yeah resilient relationships basically where we can tell each other hey this is not working (laughs) so can we do this in a different way yeah, well, and and having that flexibility too is is so important. And um, actually, you as you were mentioning dyslexia too, I wanted to share with you. I actually created a typing program. Um, so I was a reading teacher, and I worked with a lot of students that had dyslexia. And I created a typing program that teaches children, specifically children with dyslexia, that um, teaches them how to type through using phonics and spelling patterns. And I had amazing success with it with my students because they were able to kind of retrain their brain like where they couldn't do it with a pencil and paper but they could do it when they were typing because they were connecting the letters and the words and the spelling patterns to the keys and their fingers and it was making those new like pathways in their brain um and it just it was so great for them so i will make sure that i um, i would love to share that with you i'm actually giving a free trial right now um And so, and I'll make sure that I include that in the notes as well. So if you have a child that is interested in learning how to type or has dyslexia as well, um, this program is a great resource that will be able to help support you with that too. Um, And I know, so I know you said that your husband had some kind of concerns about unschooling and it is, it really is a journey and and reflecting on all those questions that you said of why do we do what we do and um, how do kids really learn and what is the best way to learn and why are they learning this and not that? And, you know, all those questions that you mentioned, um, I'm wondering if you had any concerns or fears about unschooling. Not so much, honestly. Um, and I think it stems from me not having enjoyed my school, my school time that much. I just, I don't know. I think for me, connection was always on the forefront. Yeah. It, it was always my main driver to, to make them feel loved, to, to be value, you know, to feel valued, to be part of, of this and that this yeah. is their life. It's not, I cannot, I really struggle when people say, 
we prepare you for life because that's not, I mean, we are in life. Right. <laughs> Folding laundry is life. Cooking yeah. your meal is life. Setting the table, if you want to eat with on at a table, is life, right? Yeah. So I don't know. And, and, and for us, we basically bridge three cultures right now. So a huge question that came up for me is what is education? Because what I had to learn in Austria in my school was vastly different than what my husband had to learn in Spain. Like not, not if you go like to reading, writing and basic math, but if you look at history, geography, however, we say this is education and you need to know this. But what do I need to know? Mm. right what I mean I need to know how to ask questions I need to know how to listen I need to yeah. know how to connect to people I think that was for me the the driving force because yeah my kids are more American than anything okay. I'm Austrian my husband is Spanish and and I think that's interesting I hadn't I hadn't really thought about that before you know just in that sense of like you know of course here we're learning American history but I don't learn Spanish history or Austrian history. <laughs> You're like, I have no clue about anything about Austrian history. Um, and I'm sure in Austria, they're not learning American history, right? It depends. In the English classes, we did a little bit, but not, really? not you know. Yeah, but um, it, it is, it's just different. I, I you know, and pe- a lot of times people worry when they homeschool their kids, like, oh, my kid's going to have gaps in their learning or they're not going to know everything that they need to know. But you're right. Like, what do they really need to know? And at the end of the day, even two kids that are in the same country, if they're in different schools and even in different, if they're in the same school in two different classes, they could be learning two totally different things. Um, and even the learning piece, but what they're remembering or what they're holding on to or what's valuable for them, that could be different too. So everyone and, in the world has gaps in their learning. Yes, some degree. yes, yes, yes. And, 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 and this is the thing, I think in school, we are so focused on factual learning. Mm. like you need to know a date you need to know a name and right and and i mean now we're discovering right we're discovering that a lot of lots of parts of history are not being told mm-hmm. right so so it is it is an ongoing process and also if i look at my household what is normal because oftentimes you hear well this is normal this is how it's done yeah. in life yeah in austria we eat lunch at around 12 like noon to one Mm-hmm. in spain it's 2 to 3 p.m mm. so what what for my husband is normal is not normal for me uh-huh. and so if you have a family that's only in one country like when we talk to our grandparents it's harder to convey because for them they have been living like this all the time right so this is their normal yeah my husband's family has been living in their way and it's their normal to eat dinner at 12 at 10 at night at 11 at night <laughs> in austria you're sleeping at that time right so but now that we we brought together two cultures and my kids are in the third. So, you know, there's a lot of things that are normal that are not normal anymore. So it, we get to choose. We get to decide and we get to forge our own path. Yes, you can choose your normal. <laughs> I love that. And whenever I talk to unschoolers, I, I always try to ask this one question because this was my biggest fear and concern. I was I was terrified when I started unschooling. I was terrified that my daughter would never learn how to read. That was my big my big fear that my, my child wouldn't learn how to read if I wasn't, you know, explicitly teaching her how to read. Like I had taught so many other kids in my classroom before. Um, so I always like to ask people, how did your children learn how to read as unschoolers? Well, my son <laughs> did not, <laughs> my son, um, we tried the Montessori method. So we tried the, um, sounds sounds and the sound blending and again I it's not my language so I always <laughs> I always were was really open and I'm like this is hard like the sounds for me are hard English does not make sense <laughs> so it is hard unless you know where the which language originally that the word came from it is English you don't know how to spell hard. it so right <laughs> So we always had those conversations and I was like, I'm really sorry that like if you learned in Spanish or in, in German, it would be very systematic. It's, it's, it's kind of easy. However, I did, we did not know back then that he was dyslexic. So for him, the challenge is that 
he, he can rotate the letters in his mind. So he doesn't know what a B or a D is, or a, a B, a D can be a P and a Q. Mm -hmm. So he can rotate it in. The, so for him, it's, he needs to learn a different strategy. And so we, um, yeah, again, you know, you take one step after the other. I was attending a, a summit for neurodiversity and I, I asked people because in the homeschooling world, there is a lot of, I'm mostly connected with moms because they are mostly taking on homeschooling, but there's a lot of families who say we don't want to label our kid. Mm -hmm. And so in this summit, I was reaching out and the more and more I learned about adults who didn't know that they were neurodiverse, mm -hmm. once they found out that they were, it gave them peace of mind, it gave them knowledge, it gave them self-confidence, it stopped mm -hmm. their negative self-talk. Like yeah. they thought they were stupid. They just couldn't do it. And my son started saying those things. Mm -hmm. And so that was what made us decide to get him tested. So, and for him, since he knows he's dyslexic, he hasn't fully embraced it. Like we brought in some books that he, like audiobooks for him about yeah. kids that, that are dyslexic. Um, I've been reading books about dyslexia, my husband too. And so, um, yeah, I think, if you're in general, if you're a literate family, if you have books around, if you read books, your kids are going to learn to read mm -hmm. unless they have a disability and they need a different approach. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened for us. And we waited until almost, yeah, until age eight. So, yeah. But, but yeah, I, I don't think you need to stress about it. If you don't have a single book in your home and nobody ever sees you read and you don't read to your kids, they might not pick it up. But I think if you bring in those things, if it is something that you value, words are everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. And then what about your younger child? Is, is So she is very different. Um, she's five. And honestly, I haven't been practicing a whole lot with her. <laughs> Uh, but she recognizes, like she has letter recognition, but we have not, like I, I've, I'm not doing formal instruction. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's writing a little bit. She's reading a little bit, but because it comes from her, she's a very different person. She picks it up and, you know, and, and I think she's been exposed. She was actually our very child in that sense, because my son always loved books. Mm -hmm. Like he would sit down to read and he would always be there and, my daughter would not join until like last year. Oh. So for us, for my, for my husband, that was actually a red flag. Like I'm reading and she's not coming. Uh -huh. I'm worried. But, but now she's just, and, and for her, it, it seems to come natural. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And it is, it will be interesting. I'll have to have you back on in a couple of years. And then, so we can hear about her own journey into learning how to read and discover you know, her own unique path to figuring out reading and letters and all of that. Uh, for me, that has probably been one of the most fascinating things is just being able to observe my child's natural learning process. You know, that was, that was something that I didn't even know existed until I discovered the world of unschooling. Um, just that idea that our children learn as naturally as they do breathing, you know. Um, yeah, and and I think it's about exposure, which is another part of leadership in my in my model, right? Mm -hmm. Like you prepare the environment, you have an enriching environment. Mm -hmm. Like we have books all over the place. We have a yeah. makerspace, so if they want to be creative and do crafts, they can. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot of things that you can bring in to make it interesting. Then there is the thing of strewing, where you put out books. Uh, let's just lay, let them you don't even read them you just put them on your coffee table yeah my son could not walk past a single book and he could not read but he was looking at the pictures and then I would read you know then he would ask me can you read it to me mm -hmm. so I, I think it's an important factor that unschoolers it doesn't mean that we don't do anything it doesn't yeah. mean you know we just we try to make it interesting we do a lot of experiences mm -hmm. um, yeah, we so. do a lot of experiences too. And, and I really appreciate you bringing up that fact because I think a lot of times, at least when I first heard of unschooling, I just had this idea in my head of kids running around wild, you know, kind of doing whatever. And it was just kind of this, you know, free for all. Um, but you're right, like true 
unschooling is not that, you know, um, we are creating an environment and in a space that encourages and facilitates learning for our kids and inspires that natural curiosity that they already have. Um, so yeah, being really intentional about our space and the, the strewing, like you mentioned, that's really important too. Like placing, you know, different resources in, in places that are accessible to our kids where they're able to, to have that independence that they can see these things and kind of trigger their curiosity. Like, oh, I see a book, you know, there on the table. I want to read about that. Or I want to look at the pictures like you mentioned. And even just that desire to look at the pictures is, is such a huge part of that growing and cultivating a love of books and of reading, even if they're not reading yet. Um, so thank you so much for, for mentioning that strategy about strewing and creating a space that's welcoming and, and inviting that, that natural curiosity and the love of learning for our kids. Um, that's awesome. And I, I also want to make sure that before we go, if there's anyone who's hearing your story and they want to connect with the work that you're doing, whether that be an emotional intelligence, I know that you also help support you know, mothers as leaders and leadership and things like that. How can we get connected with the incredible work that you're doing, Kirsten? Well, it's kind of easy and kind of difficult to find me. It's my, my website <laughs> is my first and last name. So it's www.kerstinkirchsteiger.com. Um, for people with kids, with younger kids, I have like four must-have checklists for kids so they can get ready on their own and you can sit back and relax as a mom. <laughs> That sounds amazing. I'm like, I want that. I, I love, I mean, it, it came to be because of one of the challenges my, my son had, which is executive functioning, which is interesting, mm -hmm. but it is really useful. Like now they pack their own bags. We just came back from vacation and they did all the packing, for example. Oh, so it is amazing. Awesome. Um, so that he would get with forward slash checklists. Uh, and then he would be on my email list for, for news and updates where I do like trainings and freebies. And I have a work-life flow Facebook group. And I'm also on Instagram at castingkirchsteiger underscore Kirchsteiger. So I think it's easier if you link that. Yeah. And lastly, I do have a podcast. I have a podcast work -life called Work-Life Flow because mm -hmm. I think if you step into that leadership role and empower your kids and your family to come together as a team, work-life integration is a much easier thing to accomplish. Mm, you are so right. And um, I will make sure that I include links for all of that in the show notes so that you can get connected with Kirsten and all the incredible stuff that she is creating in the world and that she's doing and all these awesome services that she provides. And that super cool freebie, the checklist. Um, I'm excited to download that one myself and, and learn some other ways that I can help my children kind of take over a lot of those um, executive tasks um, for themselves. That will be exciting. So um, thank you so very much for being a guest on my podcast today. It was such a pleasure to, to talk with you and to all of my listeners. I want to thank you as well for joining us today for the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast. I hope that this episode has been as much of a blessing for you and your family as it has been for me. So keep in mind that there are new episodes of the podcast released every single Tuesday. Make sure that you like and subscribe so you will not miss out on a single one. And if you would like to support me in the work that I'm doing, please share this video with or this video or the episode um, with your family and friends. And feel free to check out the links below in the description where you can also get connected with me as well. So thank you so much. And I hope that your day is as wonderful as you are. And I will see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Join us next Tuesday on the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Harders. And if you enjoyed today's episode, click subscribe and be sure to hit the bell so you will not miss out on a single episode.